Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Greetings to all of you in this new year. It's a real pleasure for Sandy Anthony and myself to, to be with you during this interim period. It's kind of living between the times, living between the times. Some of you have been there before, and sometimes uh, there's a lot of wondering what's coming next, but we do have each other to do that traveling with. More of our life is unknown than what we even realize. Someone said a long time ago that we plan and God laughs. We plan. And oftentimes, when we stop to reflect a little bit on all the plans and the resolutions that we make, I've discovered in my own life that my plans never worked out as I anticipated, but what worked out was far better than my very best plans. We might want to call that a life of faith. It is good to be with you, and we have great anticipation for good moments together as we enter this year. My mother told me as a child, attending church, you know, every Sunday, I go back to some of the Sunday evening stuff. We finally dropped that going into the 60s. We're too sophisticated to have that any longer. Anytime that we got together there, she said to me, I can remember it clearly, you know, Dickie, if you will be just a good little boy, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Well, some bad things happened to me there in my childhood. And it didn't compute with what mom said. Do the right things, everything's going to be okay. And oddly enough, that was ringing in the back of my mind in 1970. I don't know what it was. When our second child was born with Down syndrome, our son John, dear John, at that time we thought that that was just the end of the world the end of the world. And I remember in my mind saying, this just doesn't happen in our family. This doesn't happen to Dickie being a good little boy. And I didn't hear a voice in contradiction, but in fact, I recognized that we're all in the midst of this life with all of its unpredictableness. And we do have each other to live it through. So there are some things that we learn along the way after trying on certain beliefs. There are no detours around life's painful moments. Our text this morning would most assuredly underline that from the mouth of Jesus. You know, Buddhists are more direct we don't, we don't like it when, when Buddhists say, life is suffering. Well, you know, can, you know can, can you say that life is suffering sometimes, but we can kind of get around, you know, they just got to put it on out there that life is that way. And to admit that is to make sure that you realize 
that it becomes immediately easier. You know, for a long time after the 60s, it was uh, do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. And we're still trying to recover from some of the carelessness of that time. There were great revelations that came in that time and, and many good things written, many new directions, but uh, also there were some careless things done in the midst of that time. And it wasn't until about 1972 that the American people could finally hear the first line of Scott Peck's famous book, The Road Less Traveled. I have a therapist friend who says you need to read the first 200 pages every year of your life. You'll read it differently. And you know how the book begins. Life is difficult. And Scotty said that the moment that we give in to the fact that life is difficult, it becomes easier if we admit that there are speed bumps along the way. Jesus sought no detour around pain. Uh, when looking pain and death in the face, Jesus promises one thing only. In the midst of those very difficult times of life, only one thing that he promises, I will be with you. Now he also says, now that's going to be enough. I will be with you. But honestly, don't we want more than that? Don't we want a little bit more than I will be with you? Well, that's, that's kind of nice. That's definitely nice when we suffer. But I want a little bit, I, I think I want something like magic, and I want to be zapped out of that particular moment. I think there are barriers uh, to hearing Jesus rightly. And uh, I'm going to try and move to hear what Jesus is talking about, maybe in a more helpful way. Uh, my first point is uh, that there is a false understanding about the power of God. I believe that everyone needs to come to grips with what the power of God is and what it is not before we can face all of the chances and changes of life. That's my own conviction. There are two understandings about the power of God. The first is this. Everything happens, happens by the will of an all-powerful God. You know, you don't have to go to seminary to figure out this. God is causing everything to happen in this world, then God is evil and you can't get around it because there's a lot of evil things going on. If God has the power to prevent it and does not, likewise, God becomes evil. And yet there was one time that we ascribed to God that he is all-powerful. I think we, we did that in the church in history, thinking it's kind of a nice title to give this wonderful, powerful presence, but frankly, it created more problems than it solved. You know, if you start looking at the Holocaust, it created many atheists in all religions, a God who makes everything happen. You've got a God who is creating evil. Now, the second understanding of God's power is persuasive. 
not manipulative. So now I can remember Dr. John B. Cobb, Jr., who talked to us a lot about process theology, who was one of my teachers. And when John, son John, was born with Down syndrome, I walked across the campus and he stopped me and he said, I'm so glad that you know in your heart this is not caused by God, but that God is the presence that will be with you to all of the chapters of John's life. What an amazing man. What amazing help. So the second understanding that actually comes from John Cobb uh, in some of his uh, very well-written books, God's power is persuasive, it's not manipulative. Barbara Brown Taylor, how can we ever thank God enough for this wonderful uh, preacher? She says, what if God has settled for limited power in order to be in partnership with us? What if God lets us mess things up? This is a different world from the first one where God controls everything that happens. And thankfully, we've been able to talk about that second world rather than the first one that gets us in a lot of trouble. So here's my main point today. God's power is not the power to force human choices. It just is not. Uh, someone said uh, a long time ago, is there a rock in the world that God cannot move? And then someone answered the question, yes. It's the human ability to choose. He has given that to us. God can't move that rock, the choice given to us from the beginning of time. So a more accurate picture of God is indeed the one of which Jesus speaks. Lo, I will be with you till the end of the age. God suffers when we do. And it seems that most of the time we'd like more than that, like magic or some kind of zapping along the way. But it does not happen that way. After his son died, William Sloan Coffin, who was at the time the senior minister at uh, the famous Riverside Church in New York City, uh, he got up two weeks after his son was killed in an accident, and he preached what to me is the most important sermon in the world. Every church I've ever served, I sent a copy of the sermon to everyone. It's called Alex's Death. Alex's Death. You can look it up on the internet, make a copy of it. I always say to people, if, if you don't need it now, there will be a day that you might need that. He's very careful, peeling open the story of his son. His son, in the middle of the night in Boston Harbor, went and drove into the water and was killed. And they're gathering together at his sister's place in Boston there, you know, doing all the things you do for setting up a funeral. As we know, here in this church, got to get people together, talk about the eulogists, talk about what's going to be said. More important is what's not going to be said. And um, so he came to his sister's place, and there was a, he, he said, an attractive lady who came through the door with a bunch of quiches, bringing food in, and looked over at Bill, and she said, you know, I just don't understand the way 
of the will of God. And Bill, he, he was a little ticked off, he, and he said, you, you sure don't, lady. And he got up with uh, a, a lot of anger and tried to give her grace. He said the instruction to her was long overdue. And so he later in his sermon talked about Alex's death. And he, this lady that talked about the fact that it was the will of God. He says, nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of in seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God doesn't go around the world with his finger on triggers, his fist around knives, his hands on steering wheels. God is dead set against all unnatural deaths. The one thing that should never be said when someone dies is, it is the will of God. He said, my own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, that when the waves closed over the sinking car in Boston Harbor in the middle of the night, God's heart was the first of all of our hearts to be broken. That is a God worthy of worship. We worship a suffering God who suffers with us during random accidents and natural disasters. I don't know if you know the name Simone Weil, who was kind of a radical during the Second World War. She was French. Uh, she, she was uh, Jewish, became Christian toward the end of her life, and died very young. And she said that the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. Simone also wrote that if we really want to come close to God, we shall most likely do it through human misery rather than through spiritual pleasure. Boy, you can take that one to the bank. I mean, where can I just immediately think of that? I have six kids who grew up in the church, didn't resent a single thing, and loved it most of all during the spring break when they would go and build houses for the poor in Tijuana, Mexico. And all of them have said that that was the greatest thing. It also involved the greatest of misery of working sometimes through mud, through these tents, through very little food, through all kinds of chaos, especially when the weather turned bad. Every one of them pointed to the most difficult thing that they ever did in church as the most important thing and the thing that they truly embrace and would be glad to do all over again. So there is a difference between theological thinking about God and life experiences. The perfect example for us is the apologist C.S. Lewis from England. 
he, he wrote a book. I remember reading it in seminary. It was kind of a theological overview of suffering. It's called The Problem of Pain. Uh, and he unfortunately reduced evil and suffering to abstract ideas that I never understood, which he then attempted to fit into the complexities of the Christian faith. I remember reading this book, and I, I just dropped it and said, good grief, not much help here. Later on, later in his life, he met a wonderful woman from the United States, fell in love, they were married. The greatest experience of his entire life of which he would speak. And then out of nowhere, she died. And it was at that time that he said he experienced unimaginable pain. Lewis wrote, after that time, a book that has become famous called A Grief Observed. To read this second book is to realize how a rational faith like Lewis's first advocated can fall to pieces when it is confronted with suffering as a personal reality rather than as an abstract theological problem. Try this on for size. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in this book, Where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And, and what, do you, what do you find? You find a door that is slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Whew. Now, many people I have met who had that feeling at the loss of the ones they loved. I've seen it. I felt it when my niece was killed in an accident at 21. Silence. Deafening silence. You know, Preachers are trained in speech. They try to train us to speak well, whatever. The best preacher among us in the last century, I will declare to be Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrate a week from tomorrow and will celebrate here also. In the movie Selma, I can remember him standing there with a man whose son had been killed in the demonstrations that were going on. In this great order, I have a dream orator. This great man is standing next to the grandfather, and he said to him, I have no words. There are no words. The movement from oratory to numbness is the first open door 
for God to come through and present to us his companionship in the worst of times. So, people of God, here's the deal. We worship not a magic God, but a suffering God. God suffers when we do. God's heart breaks just before ours when we lose the ones we love. The power of a suffering God is not to prevent pain, but to redeem it by going through it with us. Some of us still like it a little bit better. We like it better. We would like it better if we had that zapping God, especially around dreaded diseases. On a zapping God, it feels weak sometimes to say that God simply struggles and is present with us. I understand that. And God understands how weak that feels to you and me. Got a late Christmas card this last week from a couple that was in my church in the late 1970s, this handsome, handsome couple. He was in a rock, rock band with a guy by the name of Eddie Money. He was, he was the keyboard guy. And his wife was absolutely beautiful, two beautiful children. And, uh, uh, you know, Shirley and I are, are there with all of our teenage kids, and, and they said, you know, if you guys were ever killed and we needed to be adopted, we'd like to go with their family. I go, what a pleasant thought. What a pleasant thought, kids. I mean, but you know, your kids are always thinking that stuff through. Uh, in, in other words, that was their way of saying how much they loved this family. So she was discovered to have retinitis pigmentosa, which uh, I understand to be something where she would slowly go blind. So she came to see me. And uh, she said, Dick, I'd like you to pray this out of me make me well oh so then I got my theological hat on and said that there's all kinds of healing inner healing and this kind you know I was as bad as C.S. Lewis's book on pain and she sat there and looked at me and said you know that's the problem with you preachers that's the problem with you you just don't listen I told you I want you to pray that I'll be able to see now, I had learned by that time, too, that God doesn't like unfiltered prayers. Well, I thought, well, heck, I, that's what I want for her, so we're just going to lay it out there. That's what she wants. I want it, too. And so we went into a Catholic retreat chapel, and we prayed. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know that this lady is up against some difficult things, and we, we would like her to see Amen. And so, you know, we're coming to and from church and all, and I think she was telling me that there'd be little spots uh, that would go blind and are kind of like in uh, these little pigeonholes and all that. So I said, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, I'm always interested in results, of course, you know, and, and how are you doing? She'd go, eh, let's see. I think it's about the same. It's about the same. 
And, and then a couple more weeks went on by, and I, well, well, Ann, tell me about your site. She says, well, you know, she says, I, I think it's about, it's about the same. It hasn't really changed, you know. And she seemed not bothered or anything. And I asked her another couple of weeks, and then she said, let me come and see. She says, you know, you know, I wanted you to zap me and get my eyesight back. What we asked for, I didn't get and I'm not going to get. But I got something else, which is what I needed. I was afraid. I have fear. I was totally afraid that my husband wouldn't find me attractive. My kids are going to be moving me around all of these years. You know, I was afraid of that. And my sight will not be restored. But God gave me what I needed, which was release from my fear. Garrison Keeler is easily among our best preachers in America. He said, what we ask for is normally not what we get. It turns out that we get something else that we would have asked for in the first place had we known that's what we needed. That was the experience of this dear lady who came and taught me not to filter my prayers, but tell God exactly what I would like to see, and then end with, nevertheless, help us to stand with whatever comes. Elie Wiesel tells the story of God being on trial at Auschwitz. If you remember the story, it had to do with, uh, in the middle of the barracks one night, they said, God has abandoned us. I think we need to put him on trial. And as the story goes, it said, God is guilty of abandonment. God is guilty. And now let us pray together. He's guilty. And now let us pray. And some people doubted whether or not that really happened. And they brought that up to Eli Wiesel that was in, there, in Auschwitz, my friends. And he said, well, why would you doubt that? He says, I was there. I was there with the three people in the middle of the night that put God on trial. And in fact, at the end of the trial, they used the word shayav rather than guilty. It means God owes us something. God owes us something was their conclusion and then they prayed you know we want God to be other than presence we often want him to perform magic we want we want release from pain and in the end, we will know that God being with us will be enough for whatever we face in this world until we fall into the loving hands of God in the next world. Like those in Auschwitz, after speaking the truth, 
people of God, let us pray. Eternal God, we praise you for this place where we can come, speak the truth as we understand it, tell the truth of those things that are hard in our lives, that are incomplete in our lives, to bring before you both our faith and our doubts and find that you understand, that you gently bring us forward and promise again to be with us. Bless us always in ways that we need more than the ways we know to ask. And for that, we will give you continued praise. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.